Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is Season 3, Episode 6 of Creepy Cove Community Church. If this is your first time experiencing a horror-themed church, well, uh, you are very, very welcome. Don't be scared. We'll treat you well. Uh, please consider, if you've been here before, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, but for now, I'm, I'm, I'm getting distracted. I'm sitting here in the car, ready to go inside church, and I've just spotted, just over by the woods, just a second. Yeah. There's a, young, there's, a, there's a young man, and he's... Oh, he's running. There's a young... Wow, he's sprinting. There is a young man sprinting through the forest, and he's heading... Well, he's heading across the car park towards the church. Oh, craggy. Uh, he seems to have a shotgun and a chainsaw. I better go and check this out. Listen, I'll see you guys all inside, all right? Bye. For now. Oh, my word. Hey, stop! Our church sits in a cold place. At the very edge of a windswept cliff, here we overlook the notorious community of Creepy Cove, a haunted, mysterious fishing town by the sea. It is a place where every horror movie actually happened. And we have served the spiritual and spooky needs of the cove for centuries, and now we invite you, our special friend, to join us. So come on in. Shake off the rain, because the after dark service is about to begin. This is Creepy Cove Community Church, and we bid you welcome. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Creepy Cove Community Church. We are so privileged to have fine folk like yourself shamble and stumble into our humble church on the peak. And a special welcome to you folks that are attending our church via the podcast medium. It is lovely to have you. Can we all gather together? Just give them a little wave. We're all waving at you. Uh, we think you're great. And by the way, if you're into the podcast medium, did you know that our minister, Peter Laws, hosts another podcast which comes out every Tuesday, bright and early in the morning, and it features the very latest in strange and spooky news from around the world, as well as exciting reviews of the latest movies and streaming television programs and whatnot. If you'd like access to that, then you can check out our Patreon, because the Peter Laws podcast is just one of the many benefits our patrons can enjoy while helping keep Keep our church running. Oh. Visit patreon.com forward slash creepycove for more information. Well, how about we find out what's going on in the world of our local community, Creepy Cove, in a little section that I like to call What's Happening, Lord? What is happening? Well, our church is famous for sitting at the very edge of a precipice, a cliff top, that's what that means. And as marvelous as our vistas may be, we once again must warn our congregants and visitors to never get too close to the edge. You see, that happened last Thursday morning. Uh, a family, it's a local family, some of you may know them, some, many of you will not. A local family are Evelyn and Lee Abbott and their children. If you see them, they're always walking around in complete silence, but they're not monks. Anyway, we saw them once again tiptoeing by our church, shushing one another. Uh, they do that a lot, if you've seen them. Uh, did you know they live in complete silence over the hill? They've refused to make a sound, for they think it will unleash some sort of alien attack or something. Anyway, just go along with it. They're harmless. So, 
as I was saying, they like to live in a very quiet place over the hill. But the other day, they were creeping past our church like Rip Van Winkle at supper time. And we were in the church office spotting them go by and we have a little giggle when we see them. And anyway, the family took a moment to, to take a silent selfie at the edge of our cliff top. And they were opposing and pouting in complete silence, which us lot in the church office were just killing ourselves laughing. But anyway, speaking of killing oneself, this selfie was almost very detrimental to their healthy supposed to rhyme, it didn't quite work. Anyway, you see, after 11, count them, 11 complete minutes of striking poses, they lifted their camera to snap, but they were shocked to see that their faces were too large in the screen of the phone, so they stepped backwards to make their faces smaller and had neglected to realize that the sun holding the camera had simply accidentally zoomed it in. Oh, it was a foolish error. Said they all stepped a boot swift back, which sent them plummeting off the edge of the cliff. Now, before you ask when the funeral service will be, just calm down. For you see, every member of the Abbott family survived the ordeal. How, you might ask? Simple. We put the net up. Yes. You know, in the summer, when after the church, we sometimes play a little bit of volleyball on the grass near the graveyard. Well, our caretaker, Jack Torrance, came up with a nifty plan last month. Rather than fold the net back into the supply cupboard, he decided to stretch it between two leaning trees on the cliff edge. He said it would help catch the discarded cans and bottles that the local disaffected youths occasionally throw over. I never imagined it would be strong enough for an entire handsome family. And yet, as the abbots plunged towards the ocean, sure to die, they hit the volleyball net, which stretched to a terrifying length but then Newton's third law of motion was engaged and the entire family bounced up with a shocking elasticity and was sprung back up to the cliff top, arms flailing in the air as they crashed down onto the grass. And would you believe the family was so shocked themselves that they too screamed on the way back up. And it's just the loudest screams I've ever heard from one family, ironic really from them. And we rushed outside to congratulate them on their miracle but I'm afraid we couldn't see hide nor hair of them. I suppose they must have been embarrassed about making such a loud din and had run off home on hopes. Anyway, we cannot tell if the net will support another family fall, so once again, be on your guard. And if you see the abbots, tell them we're glad they're okay. And we would love to see the picture of when they fell back. Their faces were such a hoot. <laughs> Well, moving on now, we come to our special guest, who is a suave and debonair young man who works in the homeware department of the local S-Mart convenience store. Uh, we were just setting up the church for the servers only moments ago when we heard him screaming in the forest and he ran inside, uh, and he was shaking uncontrollably and covered in heinous slime. He was about to tell us what happened to him, so we thought it might be nice to get him up on stage so he could... Tell us all about his woodland experience, so we really don't know what's coming. So, could you please put your hands together for... What's his name? Ash, Ash Wednesday. Ash, Will Ash Williams. Uh, put your hands together for Ash Williams. Come here. Oh. How are you doing, Sonny? Doing good, thank you. 
Uh, well, you say you're doing good, but you're looking, frankly, quite a mess. Uh, have you been having a little party in the woods with your compadres? So don't be partying. Uh, rest up. Take care of yourself. You're going to need it. Oh, gosh. So something clearly bad has happened to put you off the party mood. What has gone on? A book that you shouldn't have opened. Oh, what book, pray tell? The Bible? We cherish that a lot. That's our little oh. baby. Oh, uh, forgive me. So you're a, you're a Christian youth group that's been meeting in the cabin in the woods. And um, clearly you've opened a different book then that has caused you... Oh, wait, the look in your eye. The blood on your chin, your big chin. Don't tell me. Surely not the Book of the Dead. Surely no. not the Necronomicon itself. Oh, Did you just open that in the woods tonight at your party? You know, it's very complicated stuff. Complicated? It's downright dangerous. Don't you know that reading from that tome can unleash a legion of raging demons from beyond the grave? That was an issue. Oh, my dear boy, so you have indeed summoned the evil, evil dead. What happened? You know, the cabin in the woods, the isolation. Oh. The unstoppable horror once oh, it starts. Heck. That's pretty yes. much... I, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Um, yes, that is normally how it starts, but I assume that your fellow Christian troop are all okay? There's blood. There's lots of blood. Oh, oh. Some. Couldn't you have called the authorities for help? No one's using a cell phone. What? Oof, I see. You were going off grid. One of those types of parties, eh? Well, maybe trying to have a technology detox, were you? Old school. Old school indeed, I respect that, but uh, clearly it's not helpful when you're being attacked from hell. Um, well, you were unable to call for assistance, so you clearly have gotten away from uh, the cabin. So, um, if the demons are there attacking you and your compadres, what, what, if, what have you been doing, Ash? Solving a problem. Oh, could you be more specific? How do you cut off a, an arm a little more real time? What? Ooh, did you? Yeah. You had to cut an arm off. Yours, I take it. I see you do have a bloody stump, like the hand. No, well, tell me, Ash, is it is it tricky? Just, just a bit of trivia. Is it tricky to amputate one's own limb? You've got to have it planned out. Yes, you don't want to rush, do you? Be patient. Yes, though, you, you don't want to do it too slowly. How long did you spend slicing off your arm? So that's 15 hours. What? 15 hours? <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 that's too long, surely. What did she use? A pencil? Ah! Oh, did I say something wrong? Dear me. No, I appreciate it must have really messed up your little Bible study when you had to start chopping things off each other. You know, people fainted. <laughs> I can well imagine. You gotta decide. What, what, what are you gonna keep? What are you not gonna well, keep? Well, you can spare us the details of amputation. We get the idea. We're just glad that you're okay and that none of the evil demons have dared to come a-calling for us. Looks like you shook them off on your trail, and for that, we say hallelujah. Rupert. So we thank you. Rupert. Look. Sorry, what's that sound? That laughter. Shut up. Oh. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, a young woman in a white dress is sitting cross-legged on the floor. She's a friend of yours, Ash. Oh, ah, uh, by the vending machine. Oh, gosh, look at her eyes. It's very spooky. You just told us to go to sleep. Excuse me, dear, but this happens to be a church, and you do not need a little demon telling us to sleep. I'm sure the congregation can do that of their own accord. Oh, heck. She's changed. Oh, oh, she's 
is changed into a hideous flying skull with wings. Oh, it's swooping towards us. Crap. Oh, it's dark. Winter Ash, what is that you're pulling out from behind your back? Is it a pool cue? All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick. Okay, what's where you put it? You just, just sort that thing out, please. Yo, she bitch. Let's go. Yeah. Seems to be flipping and flapping into a death throw on the floor. I just wiped my eyes. Gosh, well, goodness me, a little bit of drama at church tonight. Apologies to those of you in the front two rows. I appreciate you are now soiled and liberally drenched in evil black slime. But please proceed with haste to our shower block where you can rinse off and have a few spurts of Febreze. But before you go, can you all put your hands together for young Ash here, who has bravely protected us from all the demons that he foolishly unleashed and led directly to our church tonight? Thank you, Ash. Um, any words of encouragement for our congregation? Now that you've destroyed the demon, what can they expect? They'll be sucked in, like a vortex. Not quite as inspirational as I'd hoped, but uh, okay. Well, thank you, Ash. Um, well, uh, we move on to our reading for this evening. No, Ash, it is not the Necronomicon. It is uh, the Holy Bible. And um, to deliver our reading this evening, we have lovely little Annabelle, the haunted dog. Come on, Annabelle, up you come. Hello. Lovely to see you. Hey. <laughs> lovely <Hi>. little dress. Thank <laughs> you. Watch out for the slime. Oh, sorry. Okay, okay. Um, I'm Annabelle, the haunted dog. Doll, not the haunted dog. It sounded like you said dog, to oh, be honest. Sorry. Anyway, here's the reading. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that he's been giving him? What are these remarkable miracles he was performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Annabelle, for reading that to us. That was a very unique rendition uh, and appreciate it. So, um, hello everybody, I'm Peter Laws and I'm going to be talking to you about this passage tonight at our service. And um, it's all coming under the title of dealing with rejection and nobody likes rejection and yet we've all had it to one extent or another i remember for example standing at school while friends picked players for the football team and how i was all, all i was always pretty much the last person to be picked felt like a right chump 
I remember my first ever job interview. I was a teenager and I wanted to be a shelf stacker in a shop called Quicksave, a supermarket. Evidently, I did not possess the requisite skills to put a loaf of bread on a shelf because I got a rejection letter for that. Sorry, Peter, they said. We don't feel you're cut out for this job. It felt pretty horrible. I also remember another rejection I had later when I went to university and I met a girl who I absolutely fell for. And for the first time in my life, I thought, I'm up for committing to a girl. You know, not to go into too much detail, but at that point in my life, I wasn't really into commitment, put it that way. And uh, I met this girl and I thought, I was like, no, this is it. I'm ready to be a boyfriend to somebody in a proper long-term relationship. And so I bought her a Valentine's card. And I remember at the time I used to wear the aftershave called Jupe, which was uh, trendy in the 90s. And um, I sprayed it in the air and I wafted the card through it because I was classy that way. And I left the card in her pigeonhole, which is a little place you could get your mail at university. And it said, be my Valentine. Now, you're supposed to do it anonymously, right, this romantic stuff, but I wrote my name in it because I wanted to make sure she knew I was interested. And anyway, after that, I met her, and she just said she wasn't interested in me, and she suggested I just move on. Oof, I remember that night. I remember sitting there in the pub afterwards. The music was playing. I was all alone. I was sitting on these little steps, and I was peeling the little label off my bottle of Beck's beer. You know, she loves me not. She loves me not. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty gutted, to be honest. Rejection is a horrible feeling. I'm sure you know what it's like. You know, you can bear fruit in your life. You could do great things. Uh, you make an effort. And then sometimes, even after you've given everything you've got, people reject you still. Even those closest to you reject you. And it hurts. In fact, some of you listening to me now, you're experiencing rejection at the moment. You're going through a season of your life of rejection, or maybe actually you feel your entire life has been defined by rejection. You feel like, like it's the defining label on the back of your neck. And some of you are so terrified of rejection that you're actually living your life avoiding it. Well, Jesus uh in this passage, clearly understands what it's like to be rejected. In the thing we had read, he comes back to his hometown, the place where he grew up, and yet he is massively rejected by the people who are supposed to be his supporters. This is especially a shock when Jesus has achieved so much at this point. You know, you'd think he would be celebrated. People would be like, whoa, he's back. This local boy made good. And yet, no, he's rejected. But this is, this is important to get your head around. Jesus, uh, you know, is rejected even though he had done amazing things. Some of us tend to think, oh, well, the reason I'm rejected is because, you know, I haven't done anything good. And if only I was doing something good, then I would be accepted. But no, Jesus was rejected even though he had done massively amazing achievements. Just look at his credentials, you know. For example, people who are Christians believe that um, one of the first major achievements Jesus did was like, 
creating the universe and everything in it. You know, it's this little thing he did. Uh, now, this is this is actually something that even Christians don't give Jesus credit for. Um, but a lot of people tend to think, ah, we picture God the Father, you know, this kind of big sort of Father Christmas style guy who makes the heavens and the earth and he's digging away while either Jesus looks on approvingly say, nice one, Dad, because he's doing, you know, the Father is doing all of the hard work. Or... If our theology is really up the creek, we tend to think, oh, well, Jesus wasn't present at the creation of the world because it was only God the Father at the beginning um, and maybe the Holy Spirit if we're lucky. But Jesus somehow doesn't exist at the creation of the world. Uh, he hasn't been born in a manger yet, so he's not around in Genesis 1. Wrong, right? If you look at the Bible, you'll actually find that God the Father created the universe through Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, you know, the, the Trinity. So it's it's all there, the Trinity in action. So Colossians 1.16 says, All things have been created through him and for him, the him referring to Jesus. Why am I telling you about this? Especially if you're not religious, you might be like, why are you telling me that? Well, my point is, if I put up some blinds, uh, you know, in a bedroom, you know, those blackout things to help your kids fall asleep. It's better than chloroform. Like, if you do that, um, I, I put them up and I think, okay, they're a bit wonky, but I feel like I've achieved something practical. I feel like I've had a fruitful afternoon. But when Jesus comes to earth and he heals the sick and he raises the dead and he creates the world and he shares teaching that changes people and defeats death and gives people eternal life, all this sort of list of things, it's absolutely remarkable. And so when he comes in with this bulging CV to his, to his people in his hometown, you'd think they'd be like, wow. In fact, if you were to read the passage before what happens with Jesus here, he has just raised a little girl from the dead. Um, he says to this girl, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And, and, and she gets up. So my point is, Jesus is like uber fruitful in a myriad of ways. And then something happens you don't expect. And it's a reminder of a simple fact. Sometimes the even the most fruitful life involves heartbreaking rejection. So if you're being rejected today, if you're feeling pushed on the scrap heap, don't assume it's just about your lack of productivity or it's about your lack of worthiness. It's sometimes nothing to do with that. It's sometimes something else. It's something about the people who are rejecting you. It's got nothing to do with you. And it's heartbreaking when this sort of rejection happens. Because did you notice in the passage who rejects him? It's his own people. It's his own family. In verse 2 to 3, the people question Jesus, and he's like, he's nothing special. He's just a carpenter. He's just Mary's son. And verse 3 says they take offense at him, and that Jesus' own sisters are there taking offense at him too. That's something we might not realize, that Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. I mean, just glance back over at Mark 3, uh, 21. It says, and when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Take charge of Jesus, they say. His family were doing like the modern equivalent of when, I don't know, when someone gets sectioned or someone gets, you know, uh, has a breakdown or someone, we have to try and get an intervention. Uh, it's almost like they want to have Jesus uh, sectioned or something because they're so disturbed and messed up by this stuff he's saying, saying he's the son of God and all of this sort of jazz. And so they, they basically want to take charge. They can't trust him. They say he is out of his mind. Rejection. With the exception of Jesus' brother James, 
who wrote the book of the New Testament called James, his brothers and sisters uh, seem to utterly reject his claims to be God's son. Some of you might be there going, oh, I didn't even know Jesus had brothers and sisters, but there you go. Um, it's not only Jesus' family that reject him, though, but it's his own community, like where he grew up. Luke 4, uh, Jesus returns to preach in Nazareth. Right? It's the first thing he does after resisting the devil for 40 days and 40 nights in this kind of epic desert, desert showdown. So Jesus is like fresh off this amazing time of kind of doing the right thing and, you know, resisting evil and all that stuff. And the first thing he does is he comes out and he preaches to his home crowd in Nazareth in uh, Luke 4. And he sets out what he's going to do. The idea. He hasn't come to ruin people's lives. He hasn't come to be a moral arbiter to make everyone feel crap about themselves. No. He says, I'm here to proclaim freedom for prisoners and sight for the blind. I'm going to set people free. I'm going to liberate people. I want people to know that whoever they are, whatever they've done, they are loved and they have hope. But how do his friends respond to this? They resent him. They're like... Who the heck's he think he is? It's funny, isn't it, how rejection can come so soon after a, a kind of a, a, a period of spiritual victory or something. Um, maybe you've experienced that. Have you ever had something where life goes on a high and you think, oh, this is going great. And then the next day, poof, the world kind of, the life in general just punches you in the gut. And in Luke 4, um, the rejection that Jesus gets is really nasty. It's horrible. Did you know the crucifixion wasn't the first attempt on Jesus' life? In uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus basically does this preaching about how he's come to set people free and give them hope. And the mob grab him and they drag him to the edge of a cliff and they try to throw him off. Just like what can happen in Creepy Cove like we've heard before. Remember that the devil had already tried to get Jesus to jump off a cliff during those 40 days and Jesus refuses well, now his friends are trying to literally throw him off. They're trying to murder him in cold blood. Can you just imagine how heartbreaking that must have been for Jesus? How isolating that must have felt. His own family, his friends. Maybe you can relate to this. Have you been rejected by your own family, your friends, the people you thought were there for you? For Jesus, these were people he grew up with. He, he spent more time with this lot than the disciples, right? He had dinner with these people. He fixed their wobbly tables for them when he was a carpenter. He brought them water when they were ill. As a child, he played games with them, and they gave one another piggybacks across the hills of Nazareth. And now they think he is out of his mind. They're insane, and they resent him so much that they want him dead. And eventually, of course, they get their way. Who is it that's out to uh, crucify him? It's not the Romans. It's uh, Jesus' own people who demand that he is pounded into a piece of wood. It's the ultimate rejection. So Jesus, this man who's got an amazingly fruitful life, gets utterly rejected. And it doesn't make sense. And in fact, if you look at the passage, you'll see that it even baffles Jesus himself. Verse 6, it says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. You can almost imagine Jesus being bundled off saying, what, what's going on? What are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? You know me. It's hard to take rejection from an enemy. But when it's your friends, some of you know this. Some of you have been rejected by your best friends. Some have been rejected by your church. Maybe you used to go to church or you've had experience to church and maybe something about your lifestyle, something about your choices. Maybe it's who you love how you express yourself 
and you have been tossed aside, you've been pushed aside, rejected. It hurts. Some of you have had husbands and wives who have chosen someone else and rejected you. Or just you feel the painful rejections every day through comments and lack of love from those who are supposed to respect you. Some of you even have children who you have loved and nurtured and tried and tried and they have turned their back on you. Rejection is a bitter pill to swallow, but man, it is harder when it comes from the ones we love. Well, I want to tell you this uh, this evening. This character, Jesus, who you may see as uh, just a figure from history, um, I see as more than that. But, you know, it's up to you what you think. But no matter what, where we are on that, the point is Jesus knows how heartbreaking rejection is. Like he knows the pain and the bafflement of when loved ones turn on you. So I think we can learn a few things from his example. And that's what we're going to look at next time to try and sort of pick up some tips on how to deal with this rejection. But in the very start, I don't want to overload you with stuff. At the very start, I just wanted you to know that people get rejected. Even the very best of us, even the most greatest, highest achievers of them all, they sometimes get shockingly rejected sometimes at a level which is approaching homicide, the ultimate rejection, surely. And I want to encourage you, if you have been rejected and if you have been pushed aside, don't assume it is meaning there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with all of us. We are so insecure that sometimes the only way to make ourselves feel better is to reject and pull down others which means that sometimes we're in the firing line for that. And I've experienced it and you've experienced it and it's heartbreaking and I want to have a space to acknowledge it and to give you a sense of, uh, of hope and perspective. And one of the reasons I um, connect with Christianity is this idea of Jesus at the heart of it who says, you are lovable. Whether you've achieved amazing things or whether you have achieved nothing. Jesus, over and over again, keeps just going to the outsiders, the people who've been pushed to the side, how the um, Pharisees of the time just rejected the prostitutes and the tax collectors and everybody else who was classed as worthless and not welcome. And Jesus makes a beeline for the rejected and says, nope, those are wonderful, wonderful people. And that includes you listening to me right now. You are wonderful and you are loved. That's the hopeful message. But how do we connect with this? How do we deal with it? Well, we'll look at that next time. But for now, we're going to spend a moment in uh, meditation now and then a short time of prayer. And if you're not into this, just skip it. That'll be fine. just want you to picture yourself in a, a room and it's a room with lots of screens on the wall and it's almost like a security camera set up like Five Nights at Freddy's or something but all across these different screens you can see moments where you have felt rejected just scan across them 
Some of them may be very old. Some of them may be very recent indeed. Pay attention to how it makes you feel. What is the message that these incidents are writing on your heart? And now just knock a little switch. Now you've seen things change. Now you're seeing all of the times when you have rejected others. Maybe you've not realized it at the time. Some of them you're surprised at. You're seeing screens where you have said a, a tiny thing you thought was totally innocent. And now you're seeing inside the thoughts of the other person and how hurt they were. How does that make you feel? And now, click again. Now what you can see is TV channels and social media, and you can see churches on there and hardcore Christians, but others too, hardcore atheists, hardcore whatever, rejecting one another, dismissing one another. How does that make you feel to live in a world that so often defines itself by rejecting the other? And now, look. Look at the time. The dawn has come. It's time to end this shift. And you can walk out. And as you walk out into the car park, you see someone standing there who knows what it's like to be rejected, even in the worst way. He's leaning against his car, waiting to pick you up, to take you home. Well, you can guess who he is. <laughs> However you want to picture Jesus, whether you think he's more than a historical figure or not, just picture another person who did great things and yet was rejected. And out of everyone, you know that he is ready to accept you. How does that make you feel? Your feelings to that may have been complicated and not predictable. Maybe that last part riles you or upsets you. I don't know. If there is anything like that, feel free to get in touch and um, that'd be cool. But for now, I'm going to say a short prayer. And again, you don't have to take part in this or not. It's up to you. God, whether you're there or not, um, the fact is we live lives in which we experience rejection. And it's horrible. It gets relentless. And we pray, God, that you would help us to not assume that everything that people say is real or true or the comments they make about us are about us. Sometimes they're about other things. God, we pray that we as wounded people will try not to wound others best we can. And that we might start to make a world where we can build one another up. But God, if we do feel rejected, even, even do something like supernatural, if, that's, if that exists, if that's real. Even now as I'm thinking and talking and people are listening, 
pray that you would give us that embrace of acceptance. And we pray we will find communities in which we are accepted. In your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to that. Uh, we're now going to move into a horror hymn for this week. And would you believe that Ash, who we talked to before, the one from the cabin in the woods who had the difficult time, he has offered to come and sing a special song that he's composed. And um, what's this song called? It's, Ash? On, it's on the paper. Okay, so he's got a piece of paper. The song is called um, How Could I Have Known? A love song for Linda after I chopped her head off by Ash. Okay, right. Well, Ash, take the stage. It seemed like such a good idea. A cabin for a while with friends and so much laughter. A cabin in the woods is versatile, and so we drove with hearts unfurling. The stress of college far away And best of all I'd been on Tinder Where I met Linda Her profile said she was 22 Swipe I'd known And over the weeks I'd known her My care and my respect had only grown And I had saved my S-Mart money Pretty necklace just to say That I loved her since last winter Yes, I loved Linda So how could I have known That all my plans for us would soon Was the Necronomicon 
together for that confession i'm uh, sorry i mean that song that ash has just shared with us um ash that was beautiful and heartfelt 
because of our um, safety policy here, I will have to inform the authorities about chopping her head off. Oh. But other than that, thank you for sharing. Okay. And um, thank you all for coming, everybody. I will see you patrons in the weekly Peter Laws podcast, or I'll catch you at the next service. But for now, stick around, everyone. Grab a drink, and remember, don't get too close to the edge of that cliff. <laughs> Bye. Hey, Rupert. You all right? Thanks for leading the service at the beginning today. It was my pleasure, Padre. Though the part with the sickening lady demon started oh, rocking yeah. back and forth and pointing at me, that was rather disconcerting. Yeah, that was a bit. I, I think that might have been Linda. But anyway, did everyone get cleaned up okay? Yes, they had a thorough splashdown, spick and span. Just a little disturbed by it all, of course. Mm. We gave them a cup of tea and a biscuit. Mm. I always find that helps after a demon is blasted with a shotgun <laughs> next to me. Well. Lovely cuppa and a delicious little biscuit. Oh, stop. You're making me hungry. <laughs> I'm making myself hungry. To the bar <laughs> we shall go. I hear they have a full packet of Garibaldi's in stock. Pardon? What are they? It's a biscuit, of course. A famous huh? English biscuit. You aren't huh? familiar with the humble Garibaldi? They're tasty. But why are they named after an Italian revolutionary from the 19th century? Oh, is that what they're named after? I thought it was named after Gary Sweet, the Australian actor. Huh? Why him? <laughs> well, because he's baldy, of course, <laughs> and he's called Gary. <laughs> I, I honestly always thought that. Oh, well, wow. Not that there's anything wrong with baldy Gary. No. Or any baldy person. No, I'm sorry, okay. I shall... Let's go and have a biscuit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm falling over myself. <laughs> Awkward. Well, thank you for coming to Creepy Cove Community Church for yet another service. I hope you enjoyed it or found it inspirational <laughs> or just plain weird. Maybe you just find it plain weird and you're kind of sitting there rocking backwards and forwards saying, what have I just experienced? Well, whatever whatever your reactions, um, we welcome them with thanks. And um, if you want to hear anything about me uh, or my books and <coughs> oh, wow, I sneezed. Let's leave that in. Um, if you want to hear anything about me, and my books, uh, you know, um, nonfiction, fiction, magazines, or all the other stuff I do, then check out peterlaws.co.uk, um, or we'll see you at creepycurve.com, or even better, if you're one of the best people in the world, you'll be joining the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash creepycove. But wherever you go and whatever you do, take care. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.